Welcome to the Well Season Librarian Podcast. This is Season 9, Episode 5, and this has been the last day of our whole week of Hanukkah programming. The first day of the week, we had um, two speakers who we had had on before um, speak about Hanukkah, and the rest of the week, we had Encore presentation. And this is the last one of them. Today, um, this is an Encore presentation of my conversation with Emily Winston, who is the CEO of Boychik Bagels. Um, they are a brand new and very popular, very successful bagel company that makes bagels the old-fashioned way by boiling them, you know, forming them by hand, boiling them, and then baking them in a wood-fired oven. So this is the real deal, and their bagels are fabulous, as you're going to hear in my uh, conversation with Emily. I'm going to take you right to it. Um, just want to wish you and yours who are celebrating Hanukkah a very happy Hanukkah, and I hope you've had a really special week and continue to do so. Right now, we're going to just go to my conversation with Emily Winston, the CEO of Boychick Bagels. Welcome to the Well Seasoned Librarian Podcast. Today, I am honored to be talking to Emily Winston of Boychick Bagels. Emily, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. I want to just tell the audience really quickly, I got a chance to go see uh, Boychick Bagels in person today and have one of their delicious bagels. I was writing on social media that I ate it with such gusto that I got cream cheese all over my face. <laughs> I'm glad my wife wasn't with me. She'd be mortified. Um, so yeah, it was just a beautiful, I got to see everything going on. It's a real deal. It's not a factory with machines. It's like real human beings bustling around like bees in a hive doing all this work. Emily, it was very impressive. For the audience who doesn't know you though, um, can you, you tell us a little bit about your background? Sure, so my background is actually in engineering. Um, I did mechanical engineering undergrad, uh, went, worked at General Motors for a few years, went to grad school, did a lot of alt fields work, uh, and then was doing some more like computer database programming management for a small family business. Um, and I totally stumbled into bagels by accident. It was a hobby that just went you know, way out of control and, and it's my new life. Um, but back in 2012, I had, so I'm from central Jersey, grew up eating lots of bagels, but there was like the holy bagel was if my father was on the Upper West Side of Manhattan for the day, he would stop at H&H &H and Zabar's and bring home bagels and locks. And that was special occasion bagels. So that was like, in my mind, that was the, the be all end all of bagels. And so moved down here in 2010, stopped eating bagels because the bagels weren't very good. Yeah. Um, and then got this terrible news one day that H&H &H was shut down totally for tax fraud. Um, and I was so upset about this that I thought, well, gosh, maybe I could just try to figure out how to make it for myself because I'm not eating any of these bagels out here. And, and right at that, right around the same time was a number of pop-ups who were doing New York style bagels and doing a much better job than the, than the current uh, crop of bagel offerings. So there was Schmendrix, uh, Barron's uh, was getting a lot of press. So I figured, well, maybe it's possible to make a decent bagel out here and maybe I can recreate that memory of H&H &H for myself. So I just started looking at bagels as this hobby and it just became a, a very, I was a very dedicated eccentric, uh, occasional baking, uh, bagel baking hobbyist. And I have no background in cooking or baking before I did, did some home brewing, but this was really the only uh, food production I've ever done. Um, mainly I'm a good foodie. I like to eat, I'm a very good eater. So um, yeah, I started making that and I'd bring them to my friends and I'd say like, here's, here's A, B, and C. I, I varied like the malt level in three different batches today. How are we tasting between them? And I came up with a whole methodology uh, similar to wine tasting based off of that. Like, let's, you know, smell the bagels, let's lick the bagels, let's, let's parse the nuances of the bagels and analyze between these, you know, here's these three different types and, and make notes. And then it was, so it was this iterative process over about five years uh, before I, I kind of settled on an awesome bagel recipe. And my friends were like, these are amazing. You should sell them. And here I am. <laughs> now you mentioned engineering and after talking to Rose, I wonder how much 
it seems like there's a fine line often between being a chef or a cook and a baker and being an engineer because there's so much technical scientific work that goes into it. I mean, even, and everybody talks about the artistry of it, but there is really a lot of like hardcore, like tension to science and how things work scientifically. And I think some writers have exposed that recently. What do you think as far as that goes for you? Maybe it was natural for you to go from being an engineer to a baker. I think there, there's totally a lot that's in parallel. And I've been meeting a number of people coming from science and math backgrounds going into baking. Um, and something that I've been hearing a lot is that, you know, baking really is this very mathy side of cooking anyway, because it's, it's very rigid and you really want the percentages to be right. Um, and it's very precise. And so it appeals, you know, I love math. I, when I was taught Baker's math, I'm like, oh my God, this is great. This is, I was so excited to learn a new, to learn Baker's math. Um, so yeah, it totally, and I've been meeting lots of people who have gone, wandered into baking. Um, so it's not that surprising now, but at the time it was. And I had a lot of people question me about, you know, going into food, not having any background in it. Now, when did you open Boytrick Bagels? Because I, I should know this because I should be aware of this, but I don't always get everything in the Bay Area. So how long has it been open? So I got my cottage food license in August of 2017 and officially launched at the Eat Real Festival that September. But that was that was just as the cottage food operation. And that was the test to see if uh, as as I was taking these food classes and the first thing someone said to me was, well, it's nice that your friends are eating your bagels for free and telling you how great they are. Um, but how about strangers actually paying you money for them and coming back and doing so again? So that was what I wanted to you know, just prove the concept uh, and did that with a cottage license. So we launched with that. It was a huge right away. And I said, well, this is, you know, the answer to that is yes. And I'm going to, I want to do it. I made this, you know, a lot of soul searching and decided I was going to do it for real. Um, started looking for real estate, but I found, signed the lease on this spot in May of 18. And then it took a year and a half to get open. So we are now just for the, the real store, just approaching our, our second anniversary. Um, that will be Black Friday is our is our anniversary date. So, what's what's changed for you since you opened? What's changed as far as the business goes? Oh, tons. Well, we opened. You know, um, well, we had basically just settled. We're just starting to settle down from <coughs> when COVID started. So that just threw everything up in the air again. And I think we actually benefited because we had just been a big heap of chaos anyway. We never, you know, quite settled down into a normally functioning company. So my whole staff, we were always used to like just a lot of chaos and problem solving and changing things around every few days anyway. So it just became a, you know, continuation of that sort of opening chaos where we're like, okay, well now let's do this. Now let's, let's throw all the customers outside and set up a table. And now let's, you know, just keep changing everything around as, as the news uh, progressed. Um, but what we did with COVID and I, I really, there was a lot of concern. Everyone was thinking we would get closed down pretty quickly. Um, and I was like, well, I just, you know, it took me a year and a half to get this darn thing open. We just started running. I've got this baking staff trained. It's amazing. I'll, I'll close if the, you know, city tells me I have to close, if we're, but if the city doesn't tell you I have to close, I don't want to close. Um, cause a lot of restaurants were kind of preemptively closing. Um, so we didn't, and I said, any employees who want to, you know, aren't comfortable and want to stay home, you know, that's fine. You can come back when this is all over. Um, and, but most of the crew stayed and we were working, uh, full time at basically everyone was, was on full time and we were just as an intimate bunch and we, we made it and we got very lucky. No one caught it the whole time. Um, but we added because there was all this panic. Anyway, we wound up at, wound up adding wholesale uh, pretty early on. Right. I'd already Berkeley Bowl had already come to me asking for a wholesale account, and I had kind of pushed them off a bit early on because I'm like, oh, I just opened, I'm not ready for that. And then with COVID, I'm like, all right, let's talk about wholesale now because I'm terrified that I'm you know not going to have sales if no one wants to leave the house. So wholesale, and then I also set up a delivery program, our own de delivery, and um, people could order online. 
pick up right at the door and also we deliver the bagels ourselves. So that's basically a whole software thing that I, I built. Wow. So no third party, we do it. This is, this is what I bring to the party as an engineer. I do, <laughs> there's a database and software and, and things to figure out. And um, so, which is fun for me. Um, so yeah, we built our own delivery thing. So people, we do run it like UPS. So you can order for a, a day. It depends on where you live. So we managed to cover almost the entire Bay area but on a set day of the week. So uh, Saturdays, we go to the North Bay. So if you live in Marin, you could order bagels for Saturday and we will deliver the bagels. They'll show up sometime Saturday morning on, on your doorstep. That's amazing. And we do that. So I have it, all the orders going into the, someone's car, poof, off they go. And they're just dropping them on a route that we have software. It's amazing what we have, the tools we have available to us today. You know, this software that I pay a few hundred dollars a month for, and I put in, you know, kind of import all the addresses for the delivery stops and it creates the most efficient route and it sends it to the driver's phones and and all this nifty stuff you know very similar to what amazon is able to use and you know what 20 years ago you wouldn't be able to you know or ups probably developed for millions and millions of dollars and now it's available to a tiny bagel shop to use to to route a few dozen bagel deliveries so it's it's pretty incredible the tools that we have at our disposal um and it's fun to use them. So that, so it's a delivery, yeah, pickup delivery, with a whole new website with online ordering. I guess those are the big things. That's the, the big stuff that's changed, but it really, it made us grow way faster than we would have otherwise. Oh, um, wow. That's a, that's an interesting thought. Yeah. Because we added, we added all these services because people didn't want to leave their house. So, you know, we're getting, um, yeah, so we, we did that and then it's like, oh, well now we'll keep it. You know, I, that's something the, the home delivery was an idea I had actually some years ago. And so I was, I was like, okay, well, I already had this, this thought, like, let me build it. Now is the time to do it. So the people who don't want to leave their house, don't have to leave their house and the bagels can come to them. And we're not losing uh, all this money through a third party. So yeah, but it, it was, it was great. It was huge. The wholesale has been going really, really well. Um, and we want to continue growing it. But when we first opened, it was just retail. It was like, you just walk up, stand in line, buy your bagels and go. So now we just have all these different streams and it really, it, it gives us a lot more opportunity and a lot, a lot more growth options. I was impressed because I came in, uh, I was almost waited on immediately when I uh, came to place my order and I got it really quickly. Really, everything's moving very fast there. Your people are very good customer service. You got a very brisk turnaround. It's very impressive. There's not a lot of places like that in the Bay Area. Now, I want to ask you, um, while I was in there, I got, a, I got to see the oven in uh, motion. So tell me about your oven a little bit and what kind of sets it apart from other kind of bagel operations. It seemed to be very unique. I noticed the kind of um, planks you're using, I think, that the bagels are on. Bagel boards. That, so that all, I don't get any credit for inventing that process. That is all the old school bagel making process from New York. Um, and I, when I watched videos online, researched it, and also had spent plenty of time wandering New York and watching where I could watch and just kind of stand, you can go to Essa Bagel and you can peep through the window and watch them work the oven. It's, it's basically exactly the same oven and kettle that you saw today. Um, so I just took notes and, and replicated that, but it's, it's called a revolving tray oven. So it's, it's a very unique oven that you don't really see many places anymore. Really the only places that still use them are bagel shops and pizza shops because you want to be able to bake bread on the stone deck surface because it really transfers the heat into the, into the crust really well and gives that, that really awesome bottom crust that pizza and bagels both want but it's also not too deep. So if you look at like a hearth, an artisan bread oven where you're baking, let's say baguettes or sourdough loaves, it tends to be that same deck material, but it's long and deep. It's like this tunnel and you just fill the whole thing with bread and then you let it bake for however long and then you, you pull it all out. But bagels and pizza, you kind of need to futz with them. Bagels, you, we put on because they're, they're boiled. So they come out of the kettle and then we, we put them upside down on these bagel boards, which are a uh, wood two by four covered with burlap and it's wet. 
and we put the seeds on there. Um, and we load, the bagels are laid upside down on these and that's put into the oven and it lets the bottom dry out. So it's in there about four minutes, the bottoms dry out and start baking. And then the bakers flip them over so that they're right side up and they finish baking that way. But because the bagels are soaking wet when they come out of the kettle, if we just threw them down onto the surface, the baking stone surface, they would just kind of glue themselves to the deck. Oh yeah, so yeah. They kind of need that. Whereas, you know, baguettes and stuff, it's if you look at like a, an oven loader, it's like kind of just drop, dropping, it's going on canvas and it's just dropping that dough in directly onto the stone, but the dough isn't wet. It's just, it's kind of dry and it even has, you know, a little cornmeal and it's just, it just, they just lay it on the deck and it bakes and then they pull it out when it's done and that's it. But you have to, you have to like, you know, deal with your bagels a little bit more and same with pizza. You need to like rotate them and maybe move them around to the hot spot and out of the hot spot. So this gives you that flexibility where it's, it's, a, it's actually a shallow depth of oven surface. Um, but we have like, it's like five small ovens all in one oven and you just, it's a little um, Ferris wheel of, of bagel oven. Yeah, I noticed that moving up and down, so yeah. It's actually spinning, spinning around. It's a whole little carousel, five shelves spinning around in a circle. You just yeah. pull the one you want to, you want, you need to do and you, you know, okay, rack, you know, shelf three is done, pull them out, put the next ones in. Let's go to shelf four and flip those over and, you know, check on shelf five and then you can just go around and around and around. So it's this really cool, very Zen like process where you really have to get in this like state of, uh, if you're just going to crank, crank the bagels, because it is this whole dance of, you know, some bagels go in, the next ones get flipped you know, one portion comes out, the next one goes in. So there's, it's a very active thing. It's not just putting the bagels in the oven and setting the timer for 20 minutes and walking away. So this is why traditional bagels have actually become very scarce in the world relatively is because this is so much work. It's right. a lot of work. Someone is like, you know, working and actively working and working and working. The bakers don't ever get to sit and, you know, twiddle and check their phones. Um, whereas the, the, much maligned steam bagel um, that was developed more recently that is, you know, sold in lots of places uh, is, it's a totally different process. You just have this full rack full of raw dough bagels on sheet pans and you roll them and sorry, my phone, I'm um, sorry, let me just, uh, one second. Let me just tell my-, my sure. You're good, stuff. I can edit this. Texting, okay, texting. Um, sorry. Um, okay. Um, anyway, so if you put it, you take this rack of raw dough, put it in a steam oven, you just kind of blast it with steam and then bake it. But that it's very easy. You just roll the rack in, close the door, set the timer and go, you know, check Facebook for 20 minutes and come back and all the bagels are done. Right. Versus this active, active, active process that's, you know, you know, maybe an hour of work to chug through a whole rack of bagels and you're really touching and, and dealing with each one, one by one and never getting to rest. Yeah. I mean, I was so impressed because there's this like cauldron of water that bagels are being put in and somebody's actively, you know, putting them in, taking them out. People are actively, you know, moving the bagels into the oven, taking them out it's just this hive of activity. It's just incredible. It's so dynamic watching all these people work. And it's so impressive to see something like this today because oftentimes, you know, like you mentioned, there's steam done, everything's done in factories. There's no human portion. There's, there's just all machines now. And it's so wonderful to see people still doing things traditionally. Yeah. Well, my big thing was, you know, it didn't, this didn't start out as a business plan. It just started out as a, a personal quest to recreate the bagel I wanted to eat. So for me, there's no taking shortcuts on the quality of the product. It's, it's, I want the bagel to be this awesome, which is like the most awesome that I'm aware of it possibly being able to be. And then whatever technology I can use that helps facilitate, as long as we get to that same end product, I'm happy. So it's not that I want people to work for the sake of working, but whatever is needed to make that product be that great at the end. So for instance, a lot of places still 
stand by hand rolling bagels as, as the superior bagel, but uh, H&H was a machine rolled bagel and just the rolling of bagels at, in my house a few dozen at a time over several years, I started developing carpal tunnel problems. It's really, really right. terrible on your wrists. Um, and it's not a fun job to roll bagels all day. It's a super tough dough. And I said, well, if it's, if the machine does it, if it tastes the same, if it's just shaping it and the, the end product is amazing, we don't need to do that work. No one needs to suffer. I don't need to have, you know, I've been to a place where there was a full-time guy just making the dough and rolling bagels all day long, solid eight hours a day. And he was able to put out a thousand bagels every day. And, you know, we're putting out about 4,000 bagels a day now. So that would be four people full time, just, just destroying their wrists every day for this, right. where instead I have two guys, it's an active job, but they're not, you know, hurting themselves. They're not causing themselves permanent disability. Um, it's, you know, and we, and the product is, is just as good. So I'm all for technology as long as, as we preserve the quality. Now, I really love your bagel, uh, bagels. I, I got to have one today and it was so delicious. It had that perfect amount of chew that you just don't get in the store-bought bagels. There was that wonderful chew and then the taste that just lingered on my tongue that just was beautiful all day. I, I just loved it. And what, what, and a lot of people, I've been reading a lot of reviews and people in the press have been talking about your bagels. What is it that sets your bagels apart that makes them so distinct? So part of it, so the two, there's a number of things. It's like, I'm not skimping on any ingredients um, and I'm not skimping on the process. We're not making a steam bagel. We're doing a proper water bagel and baked on stone so that there's that, which I call it necessary, but not sufficient. Um, in terms of ingredients, I, so the H and H bagel. And when I talk about H and H, there's the, I'm talking about the, the original H and H as owned by Helmer Taro at 80th and Broadway and Hell's Kitchen. There's now, the name has been bought and there's some things, but it's, they say it's the same bagel. It's not the same bagel. Anyway, I'm talking about the, the old version was a particularly pronounced malty sweetness to it. Um, that was much more pronounced than, than the, any other bagel I'd had. And that was part of like its magic. It also had a really delightful crust and chew, but part, it all had this particular flavor and what I called lick. So when I started, when I created my like wine tasting analogy, I would lick, and somehow I let, was left with this taste memory of, of licking the bagel. And I, Lord knows what I was doing as a child, but apparently I would lick the bagel and, and notice that it had this flavor on the crust without even eating it. So I really wanted to capture that. So we do have, you know, it's, it's a much higher malt content than I think your average bagel. And that's, that's a big piece. There's a lot of bagels these days that aren't made with any malt at all. Um, and I think that's what leads to a lot of bagel look at being round pieces of bread. It's like, you, you know, that looks kind of like a bagel you bite into and you're like, this has no flavor. It has like a bread flavor. And to me, that's the, the real key flavor of bagel is that malty sweetness because without it, it, it kind of really is bread. Right. That's one of the keys. So that's, that's the thing that really sets mine apart is, is amping that up. Now you're, you're a very popular bagel place and you want to have, you want to be popular if you own a business, because that's always, you know, the desired, I think out effect, but, um, has it caused you any, like, were you prepared for the success that you have? Like, was it kind of a problem at all? Um, <laughs> well, I wouldn't say prepared. I wasn't prepared for anything that happened. It's all, this is part of uh, doing a, a business like this. It's been, all been quite an adventure. Um, it's been, there's been, you know, there's definitely been growing pains. There's been, it's tough. I've grown a much thicker skin over the last two years when, People are lined up and they're complaining. They're like, I don't want to wait in line. Why is it taking so long? You know, this is, you know, people being, you know, ticked off about whatever the situation is. Mainly there's a lot of people not wanting to wait in line for bagel. And it's like, well, I'm sorry, I'm so popular. And like, you know, we're trying the best <laughs> we can. 
Um, and then I said, well, you can just order online and you can skip the line. It was nice. That's part of the nice thing about the online ordering. Um, there's always, there's always people complaining about things. And so I've, I've learned to, you know, be much more at peace with that and not take the, you know, negative Yelp reviews very seriously anymore and, and not take them to heart. Um, that's the main thing I'd say the main complaint I've had with being too popular is, is the lines. And then, which were from day one, like we had a two hour line the day we opened. Um, it was a very happy bunch. Um, and those lines eventually settled down. And then when the New York Times piece came out in March, we had that all over again, but actually it was, it, but more so we had a two hour line that next day after the story came out, but people were much less um, forgiving. They had a lot higher standards. So a lot of people were just read in the, in the times and thought we were just like a really, you know, well-established, you know, place that was just cranking bagels, not a, you know, year and a half old, small shop. So a lot of people, you know, just read the story and were expecting, you know, expecting, you know, a Zabar's type operation or something. Yeah. And we're you know, quite dismayed to, to see that we were kind of running as more of a, a wacky startup and, you know, much, much less understanding of that. You know, it's like, well, we're still a pretty new company. We've been operating almost entirely during, during COVID. And, but they're like, well, I read about you in the New York Times. You must be this big, very professional, very, you know, kind of, you know, almost corporate or polished, put together kind of place, not this, you know, why is there a, why is it taking me 45 minutes to get a bagel and, you know, there's some weird, you know, table set up outside and, and this is not what I was expecting from reading about a place in the Times, but on the whole, like, you know, it's just, there's, there's complaints. I, you know, I'm friends with a whole bunch of small business owners now, and that's just part of, part of the game is, and you just have to get used to all these complaints. But then there are so many people who are just in love and they send notes about how much they love what we're doing and how much they love the whole, the whole gestalt of everything and that the bagels bring them back to their childhoods in Brooklyn. And they're so happy to share this piece of their, their food memories with their, their children now out here. I've had all kinds, like those, this huge, wonderful list of, of messages I've received, even just through email and people just telling me all the time and thank you, thank you for doing this. So that the joy pile is way more enormous than the, the cranky pile, but you know, the cranky ones kind of poke you harder <laughs> when you're yeah. trying to make everyone happy. And, and then, you know, you can't, never, you can never make everyone happy. There's always going to be someone who's not. Yeah. I, I think that also people in Berkeley are pretty vocal and they speak out if they, they, they even are slightly annoyed about something, they'll usually complain. True. Um, there was, I was surprised when I was doing research about um, your business, I saw that there was a controversy that somebody that in Oakland had called for a boycott of your business based on the price, <laughs> which I feel is really reasonable. So what was, what was that about? So that was, that was a really interesting moment. Um, He's a financial planner, local financial planner. And so he sent this message out, this email out to his whole listserv saying like this, this place is an outrage. You know, he said like, uh, I can't believe they charge $3. Like if any of my, you know, if, if anyone buys these bagels more than once a year and has financial troubles, they deserve to be poor because they're like being an idiot spending their money on these things. So, all right. Uh, sorry. Let me just, I'm, I'm going to tell my mother to, you need to stop texting me. Uh, Okay, I could I could take this out. Thing, sorry, stop texting. Um, keeping. Um, sorry. You're good. You're good. You're good. Thanks, mom. <laughs> <laughs> um. Oh, so yeah, so this financial planner was, you know, basically this is an outrage that people shouldn't be buying these regularly. So he sends this email out to his list. I get, uh, I get an email from someone saying like, 
I don't know if you know this guy or he thinks it's funny, but there's like this, he just sent out this terrible email about you. And then another person I know texted me. He was like, I just got this terrible email. So, you know, they sent me the message. I see I'm like, well, that's interesting. And I posted, I'm like, all right, well, that's, you know, that's pretty special. And this whole outrage ensues and everyone's, you know, mad at this guy for being a jerk, um, which clearly he was, but then he came, oh, said, oh, well, it was just a joke. I was just being like, that's my brand of humor. And I'm like, well, not very well. Like, I understand kind of where you're trying to go with that, but like you sent it out to your own listserv and two of the people who received it apparently didn't understand your own personal brand of humor when they turned around and sent it to me and were concerned and upset about it. So, um, yeah, but it turned out to be kind of a, I don't know, it turned out to be kind of a fun piece of publicity for me, but, um, (laughs) and, and it was fun to have all the people rise up to, to my defense, um, and say, no, it's a, you know, it's totally worthwhile and don't be a jerk sort of thing. But the $3, you know, we're doing, you know, and a lot of people say, well, back in, you know, back in 1950, I paid, you know, 20 cents for a dozen bagels. And and it's like, well, A, you know, we're not in 1950 anymore. Um, We're also, you know, even not 20 years ago, like, yeah, I grew up, I I can vaguely recall paying $10 for a dozen bagels at some point, but we're today. So everyone's memories of being in New York, you know, there's been inflation, but so a lot of bagels in New York are now in the $1.50-ish range. We're also doing almost an entirely organic product. So we're shelling out way more on ingredients and you're not gonna find that in New York. No one is, no one is touting uh, a super premium ingredient organic bagel in New York. That's just not, so that's part of my California spin. It's like, I'm using the very best flour I can get my hands on. I'm using organic malt syrup. Uh, I'm using Malden flake salt to top the bagels. The, in the in the everything mix and the salt and salt and pepper bagels um no one does that in new york you're using they're using you know rock salt um so we're spending a lot more i buy like you know heirloom tomatoes when they're in season we're putting you know the fancy we're putting fancy produce we're you know i've been in california a long time now i'm a foodie I want to, I'm in Berkeley, you know, that's part of the the food culture here is let's use seasonal, let's use really excellent ingredients and you pay more for them. And if you look at the supermarket, you're generally paying about twice as much for organic products as non-organic products. And so we really fit exactly in that structure um, perfectly, but most people are not, you know, there just hasn't been a super premium bagel to buy before. So it's kind of like, I'm, I'm charting new territory in the bagel industry, if you will, the same way that let's say Starbucks, you know, coffee used to be this commodity that was what 50 cents a cup of uh, drip coffee that was who knows how old and sitting on the burner for hours and, you know, just this, this very commodified thing. And then Starbucks really was part of this wave of elevating it and making it an experience. And now we're, we're telling you where the beans are from and we have different roasts and we're, we're making it way more fancy and charging a lot more. Now we, now we have three, four, even $5 cups of coffee. Um, so I feel like what I'm doing is the same for bagels. Let's okay, well, well, there's a commodity bagel and people tell me like, well, I can get, I can, I can go to Costco and buy bagels for a dollar a piece. It's like, well, yes, you can. And if you, by all means, you can do that, but I'm not selling a commodity, but bagel I'm selling is not the same as what you're buying in Costco for a dollar. So that's up to you. And for lots of things, you might say, I'm happy with the the cheap product, or maybe you want to splurge for the high-end thing. And that's just, that's standard in the food world anyway, but it's just never really been done for bagels. So that's new. And it's kind of like a mental adjustment for people because now, you know, we're, if we went back in time and said the equivalent of $5 for a cup of coffee 20 years ago, people would probably think you were nuts. Um, and now it's, you know, people don't blink an eye particularly. So um, yeah, it's just been, it's been a, a learning process. So that there has been some backlash on that, but really it's settled down and most people are either, you know, either they like, I love the bagel and it's worth it or it's not. And that's fine because I don't need to be selling every single bagel that gets consumed in the Bay Area. You know, it's it's for the people who want 
that bagel experience. Well, I mean, you have so many details that you do that I, I, I see a lot of care and love. I know that, I know that term gets bandied about, but like, I think that the, the attention to detail is really there. Like even something, if you look at just the cream cheese alone, like I just had a pumpernickel bagel that was sliced and, and toasted and it had cream cheese on it. That experience somewhere else may not be the same. It may be like some cold, you know, not great cream cheese, but this is really good, light cream cheese. And then the coffee was really good. Like, and that's rare. Like I'm usually gun shy of getting coffee in a lot of places. Cause if you're getting like their special day and you order coffee, it's not always going to be, it's usually going to be like burnt crappy coffee. In this case, it was really like singularly good coffee in really nice uh, cups. Like you see on the movies, the, the deli, uh, the New York style deli uh, cup. So there's a lot of little details that are really nice and the presentation's nice. The, you know, the way it's packaged to go is nice. There's a lot of care. And it, I think just even like to keeping everything moving, it's a really good operation. I've worked in restaurants and fast food and I know like not everybody has a, an, an eye for that or like a, a, a thought process for that. And some people struggle with it, but you're doing great with it. Your, your operation, your model is just fantastic. Thank you. Now you're um, friends with a friend of, uh, we're both friends with a mutual uh, friend, Rose Levy Berenbaum. Can you tell me about your friendship with her and how, yeah, how she influenced you? Really, there's a fun story. So I met Rose. Um, yeah, our friendship was this, this totally wacky thing that happened by chance. So I saw, I got wind that she was coming to town on a book tour and this must've been maybe about two and a half years ago or so. Maybe it was her last book tour out here. Um, and she was gonna be speaking and signing books at uh, Market Hall down the street from me. And in my early days, my early Bagel Quest days, um, I had of course purchased a copy of the Bread Bible and you know used that. And particularly when I, I also am a huge fan of a, a good Bialy. So, me too. Uh, at a few at a few junctures, I'm like, well, let me let me work on Bialis now for a change of pace instead of bagels. So that was like the only other thing I baked. And she has a recipe for Bialis, and in it, she, the book she says, and I got this directly from Kosar's, which was with the Bialis I was raised on, which unfortunately got sold. The company got sold, and now it's changed, and I don't like the, their product as much. So I was on this quest. I'm like, well, I want that's the Biali I want. So I have my my, the, my whole company is based on my personal taste memories and what I want to, and, and me trying to recreate them. So I want that Kosar's Bialy I used to enjoy. So she has that recipe, but I had also, um, uh, Mimi Sheraton, I'm looking on the shelf. Mimi Sheraton wrote a book called The Bialy Eaters. And she has in that book, she says, this is the recipe I got from Kosar's. And Mimi says, you should chop the onions, the onions should be raw. You chop the onions up and you and they stay raw and you put them on the bialy. And Rose says you should saute the onions first and then put them on the bialy. And they're both saying they got them from Kosar. So I saw that Rose was coming. I'm like, oh good, I'm gonna go basically harass her about bialis. <laughs> I'm not interested in her new book. I just want to go discuss bialy. So that's what I did. I went down there and started like, you know, giving her the, the sixth degree on, um, on Bialis and um, or the third degree. Anyway, her, you know, really just kind of poking her on Bialis and saying, well, how come you say you're sauteed? And she's like, well, she's like, I don't know. All I can say is I got my recipe from Kosar's and that's that. But we were, so we were having it out and it was not a busy event. So I could, I was just kind of hanging out. And then there was another woman there, Cheryl Lou, who has known Rose for many years, who has owned, owned a bakery here. And so she was kind of hanging around with Rose, just chatting between um, guests coming by. So then Cheryl turns to me, she's like, oh, I've heard of you. Cause I, you know, say like, I'm doing this thing and I'm starting a, a, this bagel shop. And so we start chatting and then all three of us are chatting. And then Rose invites the two of us to come to this party that's being thrown for her two days later. And so I was like, okay, cool. And like if Rose Levy Berengam wants to invite me to a party, I, I'm not gonna say no. And then I made a batch of bagels and brought them to the party because it was this potluck. And then she had my bagel and loved it. Um, and then, and, and Cheryl and I went together um, to that event 
And we hit it off and we became really good friends and she became my mentor. Um, and she's been a, a huge invaluable resource. So I got my mentor and a friendship with Rose in you know one shot just by going there to harass her about Bialis. Nice. Very and cool. It's it's nice. It's uh I'm very excited to have her come visit the shop next time she's out for a book tour. Oh yeah, that'd be great. And she's definitely speaking well of you and she's looking forward to coming out to it. I know that definitely. Um what other food influence who what other food writers have been influenced on you? Uh you mentioned somebody just now, has there been other food writers that you've been following that kind of have been, um, you know, giving you the idea about bagels and baking in general? You know, most, most of the, my bagel research, there was a lot that was just kind of Googling around. Um, I've been a, like a, a modest fan of Mark Bittman for many years, just in terms of cooking, general cooking. I love him. He's, yeah, I like how he like kind of thinks about things a little deeper. It's not just here's a recipe, but like here's why and here's what's going on. Um, um, but I'd say the biggest, one of the biggest influences what I, I had was I met someone and she said, oh, you need to go to the, there's a San Francisco Baking Institute here and you need to go and take their class. And I said, oh, I had no idea. I've never even heard of this thing. So I went there and took their week long introduction to professional bread baking class. And that was tremendous. It was one of the best things I've done. And they, you know, so I went from just noodling around in my kitchen, not knowing what the heck I was doing and just, you know, just working off of recipes and, and things I'd read to, you know, real baking instruction. And they taught me things like baker's math and, you know, it was a total revelation. So that was, that was huge. I'd say that was the biggest probably the biggest influence I've had and just the tons of people I've met and who've offered advice along the way. But I would say that I actually am not a big reader of food books for the most part. I actually, most of my reading is on business, is business books. I'm super into the whole business side of affairs and do, do a lot with that. I'd rather eat food and, and read about business. Now, um, so speaking of that, do, do you have a favorite bagel of the bagels that you make? Oh, well, I love all my children very much. But um, <laughs> if I could only have one, if I was stuck at my desert island bagel, it would be sesame. because And that was always my favorite bagel growing up. So that, that, that sesame bagel, I just love um, in particular. Um, I do love my pumpernickel bagels an awful lot. I'm quite fond of those. And... The pumpernickel cinnamon raisin swirl that we came up with that looks really cool it's it's our it's our lowest seller and we do extra work for it um but it's so cool and it's so pretty and sometimes i'm just really it just hits the spot when you're in the mood for it because it's this more adult a more adult version of cinnamon raisin where we take just a little bit of the cinnamon raisin dough and the pumpernickel dough and swirl them together so it's it's super cool looking it's really tasty it kind of brings in this uh it's a nod to like Eastern European rye you know, pumpernickel raisin bread right? in a big way. It's awesome with butter. Um, that's, I like doing a lot of nods. The other one, uh, a pumpernickel bagel with caraway and salt that, that we top it with. That's uh, my good friend came up with that. She wanted something that was like more, more of a rye bagel. And I'm like, well, I don't want to do a whole separate rye bagel. Cause you know, we're not, we're not selling corned beef here. So yeah what are we really going to do with a rye bagel? So that putting that caraway and salt on it, like really punches it up and makes it more rye. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's fun. It's really nice. I feel like it's like I played, I once I, once I figured out the, the main secret and unlocked the, the basic bagel, it's like, now I get to play and we get to create these like kind of narrative references to other things. Um, and it just becomes this really fun, interesting little playing field for, for making new creations. Now, um, I want to ask, what is next for Boy Trick Bagels? All right, next up. So I just recently signed a lease on an 18,000 square foot industrial building on the opposite corner of town. And it's this gentrifying industrial area. So 
it, it was this printing plate manufacturing facility for, for many years, a business that family owned business and they closed and the area has all these urban wineries and breweries and art studios and all this great stuff. So I'm going to build this plant. So we're going to do way more bagels. I'm going to do a much bigger dough operation and we'll also we'll function as a commissary. So we'll have a full retail site. We'll be baking, we'll have more ovens, but we'll be baking them the same way. So it'll be like two, we're gonna have two kettles and two bigger ovens, but a much bigger dough system. So we're gonna make this dough and we'll be able to deliver the raw dough to any other stores where they can bake it off in the store. So like a nice. system. So you'll still get a fresh baked bagel because we have demand all over. We have demand out in the South Bay and the farther east, you know, all over the Bay Area, people are constantly begging me to build more stores. And so that's just a question. How do I want to go about doing it? But the first thing is, you know, it'd be really, it'd be a, a lot harder to maintain quality control if we did exactly this store, just started replicating this store where every store was like receiving pallets of flour and making the dough from scratch every day and keeping that exactly consistent from store to store. So by having all the dough made in one place and delivering it to be baked, we can, we can kind of keep that constant. Um, so it'll function, it can function as a commissary for any future stores we want to build. Also, the wholesale program has been going great. So we'll be able to bake more wholesale bagels and we won't have to be, have someone working through the night. Right now our, the, for the wholesale shift, we have someone starts baking at 6 p.m. and goes till 2 a.m. Wow. Um, yeah, so we're gonna well, being able to. It would be nice to like put be able to put everyone on a nice day schedule. You know, no one has to suffer. We can just build the equipment that can facilitate, you know, doing bigger numbers. And and there's people. People want the people have spoken. The people want an awesome bagel. So I agree. I know I do. <laughs> I can't wait to have the uh, pumpernickel raisin one. That sounds wonderful. Thank I'm gonna you. have that next time I go. Um, one last question. Um, so when you're not working, where do you like to eat around the Bay Area? Oh, I do. A, well, I do a lot of eating. Um, actually, well, lately, the last few years, I've been so busy that I mostly, you know, most of my diet is comprised of bagels. But um, <laughs> we have, you know, I'm in Rockridge. We have a great thing. Actually, we have Casa Barati is, is across the street from me. Basically, it's relatively new doing this really authentic Italian like pizza al taglio. Uh, so I'm always very happy to, to, to jump in for a slice of their awesome pizza if I get weary of a bagel, um, want something a little different. Um, but there's, there's so much good food around. Um, one of my favorites, oh, yeah. I'm good friends with the owner of Pamela, uh, which is in P on Piedmont Ave. And it's this California-influenced Israeli cuisine and it's delicious. Everything she does is delicious. Mm, um, that sounds great. And, you know, lots of sushi, lots of ramen, lots of Vietnamese and Thai. I'm just, you know, a fan of all of, I'm a fan of eating a lot. There's not a whole lot I don't enjoy eating. So yeah, you're in a good area for that. The, and Berkeley is just full of great restaurants. So you can't go wrong in Berkeley. Mm -hmm. Well, Emily, I want to thank you for being on the show. I, I really love getting a chance to stop by your, um, your bagel operation. And I enjoy getting a chance to talk to you. It's been wonderful. Yeah. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. That was my conversation with Emily Winston, CEO of Boychick Bagels. We have a link to the Boychick Bagels website on the bio. Check that out. Monday, we're going to have um, an interview with Matthew Cockrell, who is the um, CEO and founder of Cookbook, spelled C-K-B-K a brand new platform uh, that allows you to basically browse and get the recipes you need when you need them quickly. It's often been called the Spotify of cookbooks, and it's true. Um, it's a really wonderful platform where you can get the content very specifically from thousands of cookbooks. Um, it's a really great, new, innovative uh, platform that I'm you know, spreading the word about. Uh, we also have a discount that you can get for cookbook in the bio. So check that out on Monday, which will be, if you're in the Britain, Britain it's gonna be Boxing Day for you. So check that out then. You're gonna love it. Uh, Matthew's a great person to talk to, very engaging and charming, love talking to him. So tune in for that. 
And then uh, we're going to have um, Ataba Garcia Swaisiki on Friday next week talking about the Kieran Derricks Toolkit. Um, that was a great conversation, and I look forward to having you hear that as well. I hope you all are having great holidays, and I hope you're getting a chance to share time with your families and loved ones and make some great food. Until next week, keep on cooking. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 